Hello, this is a message for those of you who are listening to the podcast and have a baby or a child between the ages of 0 and 11. Even today, only 9 in 100 FTSE 100 CEOs are women and most sectors' leadership looks very similar. A big factor is that so many people's careers, especially mums, seem to be plateauing when they have children and when they want to enjoy those, those children as well. If you share my belief that caring responsibilities should not exclude you from becoming a senior director or even a CEO in a way that works for you, and if you want to be present with your children at the same time, then I would love to see your application to the Leaders Plus Fellowship Programme. You'll join a group of parents who feel the same as you, who are passionate about their career progression, but also passionate about their children. You'll participate in a structured nine-month program designed to give you the courage and tools to progress your career and also make sure that you can set your boundaries and feel not guilty about the fact that you want to be with your child. You'll connect with an amazing group of men and women, uh, all with young kids, and of course with your personal senior leader mentor as part of the cross-sector fellowship program. Applications close on the 7th of March. Details are on the website leadersplus.org.uk forward slash cross-sector fellowship. Any questions, let me know. Thank you for letting me insert this brief message into the usual podcast rhythm. I always find that when people have listened to the podcast, they usually, you know, they're quite often applying for the right reasons and they're the type of people that we want to have as part of the fellowship. So yeah, if you want to apply, then the time is now. And there is a hardship fund available for those of you who need financial support. And if you're not eligible, but you need support on how to convince your employer, my colleague Joe can help with that as well. So yeah, any questions, just get in touch. Thank you for listening to this. So when we make a choice, we also have to show up in a certain way because there's also the choice not to be here. And you could have exercised that. You haven't. You've chosen to be here, for which I'm grateful. So thank you. But once you've made that choice, the organization can therefore expect people to show up and behave in a certain way. It's the organization's right. It's also its responsibility to create the right conditions for its people to thrive, to grow, to develop, to feel supported, etc. But the thing that bridges the gap between the choice I've made and the connect I feel with the organization in order to give my best self to this organization is purpose. Welcome to the Big Career Small Children podcast. My name is Verena Hefti and I believe that no one should have to choose between becoming a CEO and enjoying their young children. For far too long, brilliant people have found themselves stuck on the career ladder when they have children. And that leads to gender inequality and the same stale, mostly male, middle-class people leading our organizations. We must change this. And I hope that many of you listening to this podcast will progress to the most senior leadership roles possible, where you make decisions that make our world a better place. Thank you for listening. Beyond the podcast, I am the CEO and founder of the Social Enterprise Leaders Plus. You can find out all about our work on the website and the best way to be kept in touch with things is the newsletter on leadersplus.org.uk forward slash newsletter. Today's podcast guest is Adisen Gupta. We talk about being a CEO, traveling internationally and combining that with young children. We talk about finding your purpose and leading across boundaries. 
enjoy the conversation. Firstly, thank you so much, Verena, for inviting me. I'm absolutely delighted to be here. You know, I know we've only got to know each other recently, but I feel a, a huge sense of connect with you. So really looking forward to this conversation and hugely congratulate you for the work that you're doing and driving with Leaders Plus. You know, I just think it's extraordinary. So thank you for that too. Oh, okay. So I'm Adi Sengupta. In terms of my, my role, I'm the group CEO for an organization called Common Purpose. We're a global not-for-profit. We started in the UK more than 30 years ago, but we now have a footprint in different parts of the world, in some very exciting parts of the world. Beyond the UK, we are in other parts of Europe, we are in parts of Africa, parts of Asia, and in the US as well. The reason for our existence, the heart and soul of our work is leadership development. We work with leaders of all generations, you know, right from university students through to C-suite. And it's really about how do you get leaders to cross boundaries and truly engage with difference and be better at solving some of the complex problems in the world, either in their own organizations or community or indeed at society at large. I've been with Common Purpose for over 21 years, not that I'm counting. And I kind of walked into it, really, Verena, you asked me about my family. So I'm kind of building a bit of a natural bridge work, work to family here. Although a lot of my family think one day I'll have a proper job <laughs> because they really do wonder what I do. In a lot of cultures, I think, I still think, you know, working for a not-for-profit does not feel like a proper job, although I feel it's much more than that. It's about your true purpose. So I was born and brought up in India. I grew up there. I was very fortunate. I, I got a scholarship to come and study in one of the UK universities. Did that, love the experience there. There was an option to stay back here. I chose not to, went back to India because I didn't want to be a part of the brain drain. But then my family circumstances, in this case, my husband's career brought us back to the UK. And we've been here since. I'm the third of the three siblings even though left left my extended family back in India a long time ago, still incredibly connected and very close-knit. And of course, you know, technology and other developments have allowed us to be so. So strong roots in India. But I think I'm a global citizen, Verena. It sounds a bit schizophrenic. I hope it doesn't and doesn't come across as that. I feel like I could live in any part of the world and <laughs> put roots down. Because there's so much to learn from people and places in different parts of the world. You know, I was very fortunate. I lived in Singapore for five years as part of a common purpose journey. And that feels like home. Been back in London for about four years now. That feels like home. I was just saying to you earlier, wasn't I? I was in Istanbul last week with my entire common purpose family. And as a result of what's happening there at the moment, which is heartbreaking, that feels like home too. I'm part of a very close-knit family, but common purpose and the rest of the world also feels feels like a part of my extended family at the moment. Thank you for sharing. And you have a son as well. How old is he? I do. I have a very interesting 10-year-old. <laughs> he, was, he was born in 2012. So because we're very close to Chinese culture, because we lived in Singapore as well. So he's a dragon baby. And he's got some very interesting traits of being being a dragon baby. Yeah, he's 10 years old, Verena. Mm -hmm. Lovely, Lovely boy. And what did you used to assume about combining a big career with young children that you don't believe anymore? Yeah, I think that has been one of the most defining moments of my life, you know, even though I hate to admit it. There was a long time, there was a very long time when I did not believe that you can continue to have a career if you chose to have a family. 
it doesn't feel good saying it but i'll say it because i'm sure i'm not the only one who has thought and felt like this but i think it's important for people like me to say it otherwise things don't get said and that was one of the reasons i didn't want to take that route because i did not think it was possible to have children to have a family of your own and to have a career and that was the one thing that really held me back from making that decision and how wrong was i how wrong was i and in my quiet moment you know when i think about some sometimes you know where have i been fundamentally wrong in my life about certain assumptions that was definitely one of them it is entirely possible for that some things have to change you've got to ask yourself some tough questions you've got to question a few fundamental things but it's entirely possible and doable i think we underestimate the power of us as human beings our families our work and the ecosystem to lend itself really well and positively to allow for something like this to happen so that was my biggest learning that it cannot coexist mm, and it can and every time i speak to you you are in a different location it was south africa last time you were traveling well, you mentioned you're in singapore a lot you've just come back from turkey what have you learned about making international travel work with a 10 year old who still has i know you have a husband but i presume yeah. your 10 year old still has expectations of what mummy should be doing and providing yeah absolutely he does and you know they're entirely justified but i think it's about a few things it's about having very open honest conversations about the why i know this for sure i don't think i'm making an assumption i don't think he thinks i get onto a plane and just disappear because i can every time i make a commitment to travel you know i genuinely sit down with him and say to him i've considered all options not to be away from you but this is really important and he really understands it and he's got a natural curiosity about life and places and so when i come back from a travel i sit down with him i tell him about all the things i learned and discovered and heard and feed that into part of his experience so he rather than i'm sure he misses me but i hope he misses me but rather than being taken by sadness there's a certain excitement that he looks forward to i'm not the kind of parent or mother who will sort of deluge him with with gifts from where i travel just out of a sense of guilt because i don't feel guilt you know genuinely and we can talk about that separately but you know i don't believe in the whole kind of material things at all but for me it's more about bringing my life's experience back to him and enabling him to grow i have to say though verena you know my partner my husband's played an incredible role in this i don't think i could have done it without him not only that sense of not making me feel guilty but how he deals with my son and how the life and experience they create together in my absence is also a very strong reason for my son not to miss me when i will be and that's important that's important i don't think it's an overcompensation it's just how you balance different mm. elements of life so that he doesn't feel like one person's missing from the equation and also i think covid was tough though because covid forced us all to be in the same room same house together for such a long time i was worried how it would be post covid but i think we have again got into a natural rhythm with me being able to travel without him feeling me feeling that sense of guilt and without him feeling that a big chunk of his life has been taken away from him as a result of me being away mm. you i losing. genuinely don't feel guilt when i travel amazing and I'm so glad that you're sharing that because a lot of people listening are feeling guilt. Yeah. It sounds like there were some benefits to your family life of you being away. I'm sure you're a fantastic mother, but between the lines that sounds 
like what happened partly. Can you tell me a bit more about what was the positive impact of you being away on your family life? Yeah, I think you're right. And I think this is the thing. This is why when you asked me the first question about what was the biggest myths that shattered when I had Nick when Nikhil was born, sometimes we just make assumptions. We just make assumptions that just because someone has been away from home for like a week or 10 days or five working days or whatever, that something's missing. And I think we, as human beings, we always look at the negative thing instantly. I've also seen through that lens, but I think there's always a positive side to think. The fact that I can also have that time immersed in a work context for myself, not in a selfish way, but in a way that is allowing me to experience a different country, a different culture and bring something back into my ecosystem can be nothing but a positive thing. So I think that's a positive way to look at it. Also, that it, fact that it allows other members of the family to create a different rhythm or to create a different ecosystem for themselves, which allows them to thrive, is not a negative thing. And then we are human beings. We come back together and we break that rhythm and create another rhythm, which involves all of us again. So I think it's fine to create different rhythms in life. And for all that, to have a positive experience rather than to look at it as something that's missing at a certain point in my life. The other thing I'd say to you, the positive thing is, and I don't do this as a result of guilt at all, but it feeds into what makes me feel valuable about myself. I love cooking. So when I travel, Verena, I cook loads for my husband and my son, not because I feel like I have to as a mom before I go, but we're all foodies gives me a chance to cook and do something that I really like doing before I leave. And it gives them a chance to enjoy the food. And every day when we speak, they tell me how amazing my cooking's been in my absence. And that really reinforces that sense of pride in me. So how can all this not be positive? I can really relate to that. That would be my dream, actually, being stuck <laughs> in the kitchen for a whole Sunday, just cooking yeah. one meal up for another. It would be yeah. exactly. Yeah. Except my husband says I cook only because to clean, because I'm obsessive about cleaning as well. So <laughs> it's a rude thing. Unfortunately, that's not a skill I possess. I would love me to have that. Um, and you said you make very conscious decisions about when to travel. Can you tell me a bit about the principles? How do you choose when to say yes to an invitation to travel and when not to? Yeah, this is a tough one for us. And I think it's not just for -for not-for-profits. So much of our work, Verena, is about relationships. It's about people internally. Everything in common purpose is about people externally as well. Our partners and stakeholders, our clients and customers matter deeply to us, you know, and to me personally, to the organization. It's very much in our culture. So sometimes it's very hard to make a decision not to get onto a plane and be that client-facing, partner-facing, customer-facing. But again, COVID has taught me to be a bit more trusting of these instincts and these decisions because almost all our partners and clients and customers and stakeholders stuck with us during COVID. And they stuck with us at a time when I was not jumping on a plane and sitting opposite them talking about how wonderful our work is. So I think if that was a reality, the question I'm asking myself and we're asking ourselves in, in common purpose is, do we have to jump on a plane all the time to grow these relationships, to nurture these relationships and to keep them sacrosanct? And the answer is no, we don't have to do it all the time. But in some cases, we have to do them. 
you know, in some cultures, in some countries, they have to be done. But conscious of the sustainability criteria, the impact on the environment, conscious of costs, and also conscious of, again, everything that I said about not wanting to be away with with the family. But if some things can be achieved without needing to do that, we may as well, all other things considered. So there are lots of trips that I've actually said no to since we have been able to travel. And there are some things that I absolutely haven't because it's been absolutely critical for our partnership, for the sake of our partners, to build trust, to build relationship, to be out there in front, sitting in the same room, having that conversation about common purpose. And also it's hard to build new ones if you haven't met people face to face. It just is. It's easier to continue the ones virtually, mm-hmm. but it's hard to build new ones. Again, as I said, in certain countries and cultures. So I have jumped on a plane and I'm starting to do that, but with a lot of thought and care and introspection. Mm. The topic of setting boundaries, not just for international travel, but generally setting boundaries is yeah. something that our fellows and our the people listening yeah. are thinking about a lot. Yeah. I'm interested in what have you learned from your own life about what works for you to set those boundaries? Because the bar- if you you don't achieve your goals, then your employees yeah. are going to lose their jobs. Your really high impact yeah. programs are not going to run. There yeah. is the pressure. How do you set boundaries in your everyday life? Yeah, such a good question, Verena. It's a question that I should probably reflect on all day before I, I answer, because I'm not sure that anything that I'll that I'll tell you is compelling enough. Because it's a big question and it's a difficult one. Because I think when you're a CEO of a global organization, it's very hard to set boundaries. Very hard to set boundaries. I mean, if at, at a pure practical level, Verena, we have a presence in Australia right through to the US. There are days when I start at very, very early in the morning because I'm I'm connecting with our work in Australia and end by connecting with, with our work in the US. So they literally, literally run on a 24-hour cycle. That's a terrible example of setting boundaries, isn't it? But you know what? That doesn't happen every day. And sometimes you have to ask yourself, is it really important that it, the day has to run like that? What is the purpose of that decision? And sometimes it's an overwhelming yes. You just have to do it. It's not an overwhelming yes all the time. And so I don't do it. Where I think, where I think I've been good, I would like to take some credit for setting boundaries, is where I empower people and give them opportunities and responsibilities to stand up and do things for the organization. One is because they can, they've got the appetite, they've got the ambition, they've got the desire, they've got the will. And sometimes... Because you're a very passionate CEO, you know, they just don't get the chance. And that is the place where I've consciously set boundaries around myself so that others can rise up and shine. And again, that's very hard if you've been appointed into a CEO role in an organization where you've grown up the ranks. You naturally come into it thinking you can do everything. And actually, in some ways, we can, but should we be? Because if we continue to behave like that, then it doesn't give others the opportunity to show how good they are. So this is something I did very consciously during COVID. Genuinely, sometimes put boundaries around my role, my impact in the organization, not because I wanted to minimize it, but because I wanted to give others an opportunity to have that impact. And my God, I mean, what amazing colleagues I have, what they have done for this organization in that time as a result of that opportunity is the reason why we are here. 
we would not, some of the innovation that's happened, some of the new thinking that's happened in the organization hasn't come from me. It's come from my colleagues. I do know deep down, I did create that space for them. So I set my boundaries so that I could create that space for them. So yet again, Verena, I see putting boundaries around you sometimes to be a positive thing rather than a negative thing. But in Common Purpose, we are always challenging ourselves to cross boundaries and to be more collaborative, to be more inclusive. But as a CEO, I've got to be conscious of how I do that dance Mm. between crossing them all the time and going into someone else's world, Verena, or putting them around me so that I have that sense of balance. Mm. It really resonates what you're saying, that it's linked to your role. And you think about what is the purpose of your role and therefore where should your boundary sit rather than actually I'm one of the best. Yeah. Yeah, in the organization. Therefore, I should be looking yeah. over that document one yeah. more time before it goes out. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, look, I know you haven't asked me that, but I know you and I have had many conversations about it. I don't see my role to be doing everything in this organization because one, that that is not possible. And second is, to me, that undermines the talent you have in the organization. There are some unbelievable people in this organization who are there because they have an unbelievable contribution to make. And if I put my tentacles in everything, how will they rise and shine? Mm. And how will they stay motivated? Even if they make mistakes, that's okay. I mean, we are a leadership development organization. It's about taking risks and learning from, I wouldn't even call them failures, from experiments and then doing something else. Absolutely. It's so nice to see how you're telling people about through the common purpose programs and, and work, actually, that you are also living it. And it's really lovely to see the, how often when I ask you a question, it comes back to the purpose, yeah. which is, yeah. <laughs> I probably should Always. have expected that given your organization is called It's in purpose. our name. Yeah, <laughs> I have to. No, it's, it's innate in me. It always has been. Always has been. Purpose is very important, Verena. It's about one's personal purpose and also the connect with the organization. Yeah. I know that you run full year length programs about how to find a purpose. But if someone is listening and thinking, "Hmm, well, actually, that relates to me, I would really like to find my purpose. What would be a simple step that they could start with on that journey of being clear about what they're here for? Yeah. How interesting. How interesting. You always find ways to ask me questions that are top of mind. (laughs) So we were in Istanbul last week and over a hundred of us, I brought the entire Common Purpose family together for the first time in four years. In fact, we've never brought the whole organization together in the way that we did in Istanbul. It was really important. And there were three things we were talking about, Verena. One was very much about purpose, about our own purpose, about what is the purpose of the team, of which we are a part, a construct of that construct. And then how does that connect with the with the organizational purpose? And I'll come back to answering your question. We were also talking about the talent that we all are and what that means for the organization to make it future ready and culture. You know, they're all linked. To me, look, it's very simple. This is as much as for me as it is for everybody else in the organization or all, all our listeners out there. We all make a choice to do certain things or not to do certain things. What I was telling my colleagues last week is you've all made a choice to be in common purpose. I've made a choice to be here. You've all made a choice to be here. So when we make a choice, we also have to show up in a certain way because there's also the choice not to be here. And you could have exercised that. You haven't. You've chosen to be here, for which I'm grateful. So thank you. But once you've made that choice, 
the organization can therefore expect people to show up and behave in a certain way. It's the organization's right. It's also its responsibility to create the right conditions for its people to thrive, to grow, to develop, to feel supported, etc. But the thing that bridges the gap between the choice I've made and the connect I feel with the organization in order to give my best self to this organization is purpose. That is the purpose. So what I said to them right at the start and I left them with, you've got to ask yourself, what is your purpose? What is it that really you want to achieve in life or what matters to you? If someone took that away from you, you would not be you. And once you've discovered that, then figure out what is the connect with the organization. Look, you know, sometimes my colleagues struggle because we are a mission-driven organization. And some of them say, I connect with the purpose of common purpose, but maybe that's not why I'm here. You know, I'm here because I'm a really good project manager. And that's what I want to do really well. There you go. That's your purpose. You want to be a really good project manager. Now, find a way to connect your purpose with the wider organization's purpose and how you can add value. I think we all have something that's superhuman in us. And I think purpose to me is what is that superhuman thing or desire or quality that you have that you are willing to connect with the organization around? We were using the analogy of all, our, all of us being bees buzzing away last week. So for me, it was about what's your sting? If you know what's your sting, that's your purpose. That's what connects you with the organization. I really like that analogy because the purpose makes you quite bold as well. A bee doesn't sting, yeah. you know, it's scared to sting people, essentially. Yeah. But the purpose yeah, but does, it holds on to it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You mentioned the word cross-boundary leadership yes. earlier. Yeah. What is that and why does it matter? Now you've asked me something, I'd probably go on for hours again. Look, I think cross-boundary leadership is very, very important. It's core to who we are as an organization and what we do. Because if you look around, problems are constantly crossing boundaries. They don't remain confined to certain boundaries. But what tends to happen, what we have found, is that leaders therefore also have to cross boundaries in order to solve the complex problems. If problems stayed contained neatly within boxes and didn't cross them, then leaders can probably operate within the boundaries that they put around themselves. So therefore, I think this need to cross boundaries is very, very compelling. I mean, you've obviously heard the expression, you know, it was being used a lot. It's still being used, although there are other expressions that are now being used as well. You know, it's a volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous world out there, which essentially means that the problems are not contained within neat packages and leaders therefore have to cross boundaries. But I think leaders also have to cross boundaries simply because they have to understand context. They have to understand how people and places connect. And for that, they have to cross boundaries. They have to make a conscious effort to go into others, someone else's world and experience it. Even though they don't like belonging there, or they don't feel comfortable, they have to understand it enough to operate. In order to be truly collaborative, to make two into 11, you have to cross boundaries. You know, you have to try. The point I was trying to make earlier, you've got to lead beyond your remit. Because if you continue to lead beyond your remit, you'll miss opportunities to collaborate. And the third important reason, other than context and collaboration, it's really important to cross boundaries to be truly inclusive. Because to truly, truly embrace difference, you've got to really know what fundamentally matters to you and what doesn't. Mm -hmm. And that is at the heart of inclusion. 
And I feel going back to solving complex problems, I feel you cannot even be innovative unless you truly embrace difference because innovation cannot come from homogeneity. It has to come from diversity. And how can you be truly diverse by truly embracing difference, which is all about inclusion? So for me, crossing boundaries is fundamental to leadership. Crossing boundaries is fundamental to the work that we do because I think that's the only way we can change the world. So therefore, understanding context, collaboration, and inclusion, which we describe them as the three pillars of crossing boundaries, are absolutely core to the work Mm. of common purpose. Can I ask you a very practical question? And you can tell me if it's irrelevant or too basic. But this just made me think of a lot of our listeners who are working in quite old-fashioned, maybe male-dominated organizations, maybe engineering, who still don't have the most... I'm generalizing here, but let's picture someone working in a really traditional type setup yeah. and their manager and their boss's boss, they're all not working parents who have all the drama with uh, school calling because the child needs picking up or tomorrow is world book day, please bring a costume, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So how does someone like that help their leader to cross the boundary and be that inclusive person who, who understands them? Because a lot of our listeners say, they really struggle to in, get the support from line managers who are not parents who are, or who are used to not having to do much childcare. Yeah, severely practical question. Hits all of us every day, doesn't it? I'll say two things, and it's two C's, really. I just made that up, but those are the two words that Sounds are coming great. to my mind. <laughs> <laughs> One is it's about the culture. And that's why the role of the CEO, of the leader who's leading is really important. Or even if you take it away from an organization within the team, because every team leader creates their own culture, subculture within an organization. If it's a culture, culture and conversation, and I think both sit hand in hand. If you have a culture where a member of the team feels empowered enough or another C has the courage to speak up and have that conversation with their line manager or who they're working with, who they're reporting to, or if it's a project lead, et cetera, then I think a lot of what you've described can be dealt with. Now, you may not get a positive response all the time, given the challenges of work or the output that's required, but at least you must have the culture where the person feels like they can have that conversation, either with their peers or people that they're reporting to. I would feel very upset and sad if I felt in common purpose in the context that you describe, in the scenario that you describe, Verena, where someone could not have that conversation with their line manager or the people they reported to. Now, sometimes, again, it goes back to the culture. They may have to hear a no. They may have to hear a, we're in the middle of a submission or we're in the middle of a big project. Any other time, what you're asking for me is fine. But on this occasion, can you get this out of the way first? before you you do what you have to do. I hope that doesn't happen because then it creates a practical problem for them. But at least that opportunity to have that conversation openly where one's listening, genuinely listening, and the one's genuinely able to say what's important to them given their family circumstances, I think that is fundamental to change some of that traditional dynamic that you're talking about. I think we all come up against it. We all come up against it. I mean, yesterday, I'll give you an example. I had a very important call at about 3.34. And my husband does the school pickup, usually. I mean, we try and share it, but he does it. 
there was a clash and he came up to me and said, would you mind taking it on? Now, honestly, I feel awful changing meetings at the last minute, but I made a request to do it. And I was very honest why I had to do it. It was because of my son's school. I didn't come up with an excuse. So I think sometimes we have to be honest about the reason as well. Not feel it's not a good enough reason to have that conversation. Picking your child up from school is a jolly good reason <laughs> to need to have this conversation for which you need courage. You need someone to listen to you. You need the right culture in place and you have to have the conversation. Mm-hmm. You can't expect someone to get it if you know they won't unless you raise it with them. It's true. I've been lucky enough to listen to quite a few line managers talking to each other because we do also run sessions for line managers as part of the program. So parents will essentially send their line managers on training with us. And it's so interesting how many of them do want to do the right thing, but they are scared to ask what the individual needs or they are scared to assume what the individual needs. So I completely agree with you. Yeah. And sometimes we also make an assumption. I have made an assumption so many times where I feel like someone will not understand my family's circumstances. I've been pleasantly surprised, you know, how people do. And sometimes you genuinely hit a brick wall. Let's not assume everything is all great out there and it's only about personal responsibility. Some people just don't get it. They do not have the sensitivity. But you've got to keep going at them because unless we do, how will we change? Mm. You know, if we let them off the hook, Verena, simply because we accept that they won't change, then we're never going to change the world. We've got mm. to keep going at them. If we go at them at in one particular way, it doesn't work. We've got to go at them at, in another way. And sometimes it's strength of numbers. If there's one person that three or four people report to, and this person is constantly showing that repetitive behavior, three or four people have to gang up and behave in a certain way in order to change that behavior. Mm. That needs courage and collaboration, but it's important. Mm, I completely agree. And you mentioned the word assumptions there. Quite a few of the people listening or, or our fellows on the program have told me that they sometimes face these assumptions about what they mm. can or can't do because of mm. their circumstances, be that being a parent mm. or mm. being from an ethnic minority or having disability. Mm. Have you ever been faced with assumptions or noticed assumptions of other people because you were from an Indian background or not so all much? the time? And and how all how do you deal with that? All the time. I'm not sure how I deal with it. I think I deal with it very badly sometimes. And sometimes I deal with it really well. (laughs) I'll give you an example. I got an opportunity through work at Common Purpose to move to Singapore and really set up and grow our presence in Asia Pack. It was an opportunity that was given to me. I took it. My husband was incredibly supportive. And I'm so glad I did. I learned a lot about myself. I helped bring back whole lot of things for the organization. It was a very positive experience. But you know what? There are so many contexts when I've shared this story. When I've shared the story of me being in Singapore, everybody has assumed it's my husband who moved, not me. Number one. So you ask me assumptions being made of me. You know, when I didn't, when people, everybody, even in my family, when we first told our family, they all thought it was my husband moving, not me. So that's an example of in a certain cultural context, the assumption it's always the man going, not the woman, number one. In many cultural contexts, I think. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. No, but especially, I think, Mm. yeah, I'm a bit too harsh on my own culture. We all are, we all are. The second is, it was really interesting. The second level, when people realized it was an opportunity that came through me, not my husband, and they know he's Asian culture, man from an Asian 
the assumption always is that, oh, it must have been really difficult to persuade him because there's an expectation that the dynamic between an Asian in an Asian couple is that, you know, it would be very difficult to persuade the man. And actually it wasn't. It was for certain reasons, but not at all for the reasons that people would think, you know, it was. I have seen assumptions being made all the time. I have gone, I'll give you another example, Verena, which really eats away at me. It really upsets me. You know, when I was setting up Common Purpose in India, I would request meetings of very senior people, either business people or in government. I would walk in through the corridors of offices or government departments and people would look behind me to see if there was a senior person that was going to follow me. Mm. And most of the time they would expect a man. It still eats in somewhere. Mm. And I don't think some of this has changed. I really don't think some of this has changed. So how do I deal with it? It upsets me still, makes me emotional, makes me grumpy. (laughs) And sometimes, you know, I think actually it's not my problem. That's their problem. I will have to keep doing what I'm doing. I will have to keep empowering people so that others don't face this. I have to keep sharing my stories so that people are not at the receiving end of these assumptions. Because no matter how much we try and change the world, the world only changes at its own pace sometimes, you know. But it doesn't change without people like you doing yeah. it. So thank yeah. you for doing that. I have faced it. I have faced it. I mm. genuinely have. You know, I mean, people have said, oh, where's the Mr. So-and-so? And I'm like, mm. I'm sorry, but I'm the Mr. So-and-so. <laughs> like <laughs> it or leave it. Where do you stand on the balance between using your own energy to make people aware, even if it's subtly, like saying, oh, I'm the Mr. So-and-so? <laughs> versus just letting it pass in order to save your energy? Where do you stand? Do you think it's important to always say something or is it okay to let it pass? No, again, I think I have moved on from that position where I felt that everything needs a rebuttal and everything needs energy and power to fight it back. I used to be there for a very long time. I think I've moved on. I think sometimes ignoring it, letting it pass is more powerful than fighting the fight. I think if you don't fight the fight and people actually realize what they've done later, I think they'll be so embarrassed that it'll have a bigger impact on them than being told or reminded of that they should not have behaved like that. I think there's a there's a bit of a thrill in, in, in that. And I think that can be more powerful. So, showing just, up as the woman when they've yeah. already put out uh, yeah. whatever. <laughs> I think it's risky because the penny may never drop on them. But I think because I think sometimes it's, just letting it go is as powerful as fighting the fight. But I think sometimes it's important to fight the fight. We talk a lot about, I'll say this because it's important, we talk a lot about cultural intelligence and common purpose because it's it's a key part of our thought leadership. How do you get people to cross boundaries and truly engage with difference and embrace other cultures? One of the things about cultural intelligence is that not standing up to cultural intolerance. So when you see intolerance happening around you as a leader, you cannot let it happen. Now, even within that, you can choose different ways. One is you fight it head on. And even ignoring it is also a way, I feel, to not let cultural intolerance continue. So I think it's important to do something about it. It's what you choose to do at that time. Mm. I think it's absolutely fine to also consider your own energy within the equation. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, because, you know, do you always want to use your energy for things that you know? If you conserved it, you probably have a better, more of an impact somewhere else. Mm. Although mm. I, I 
never think of energy conservation. <laughs> <laughs> well, if that's not the problem you have, how wonderful. <laughs> yeah, I probably should think I, about I it. I am going to ask you, though. So you come across in lots of conversations with, that we've had before, you've come across as someone who does their job extremely well and who has a family that works reasonably well most of the time and just someone who is together what have you learned from your lowest moments around combining a big career and young children yeah Verena sometimes I've been in denial that there have been any low moments and you know this is going to sound strange to you but I think those are my low moments when I've been in denial because I felt I've had to be in denial I didn't have to be in denial when I've hit low moments I should have just acknowledged them just stayed with those low moments done something about it talked about it perhaps not set on it not not acknowledge it not pretend that that was low so i think sometimes i've glossed over those low moments a little bit because i was probably didn't have the courage didn't want to be seen to be low <laughs> because that's not me you know in a way and i think my low moment is actually the fact that i did not acknowledge them when when i should have I could have reacted differently because I worry that if I did that others are doing it too and some of us probably notice them and support them and some of the some of us don't notice them and support them because they're very good at hiding it which is what I did I think I wish I had the courage to acknowledge them when it happened mm. and sometimes they were low not because somebody was making me feel low it just the way i felt you know there were other things happening in my life which i probably was not acknowledging i just told you i've been away from my extended family for a very long time it took me a long time to realize how much that affected me for a long time i just didn't think it did and it affected me and i kind of glossed over it a lot so i suppose the message from me is when you do feel low about something it's okay to acknowledge it again goes back to that point about conversation you know what culture do you have at home or in your workplace where you feel okay to even talk about it and don't worry about being judged i mean the what's the worst case that would have happened if i had acknowledged my low moment somebody would have judged me through their lens i was terrified of that again it's their problem they would have gotten over it i don't know whether you'll agree with me but in certain cultures the sphere of being judged you know we let ourselves down a lot when we really shouldn't I have certainly let that happen to me and mm-hmm. I feel as a result I have flexed my behavior too much without holding on to the core of who I am just to be accepted and not to be judged. Mm. Yeah, I can really relate to that and I think a lot of listeners can as well. Thank you for your honesty and your reflection. We're coming to the end of this podcast and I just wanted to give you the chance if there was something else that you wanted to say to the listeners before I ask the last question for you to be able to say that one of the things i'd say one is going back to where we started i think you're you're doing amazing work in this space and the fact that you're creating a platform like this verena is fantastic i wish it was there when i was going through this period in my life so i think everything that people can take from conversations like this and opportunities like this would be great a personal message for me would be you know that that conviction about being being yourself i know we all say it it's a bit you know can sound like a bit of a cliche but it means a lot of things and sometimes if being yourself is is just almost how can i say this almost rejecting an assumption that's coming your way that's okay that's fine that's your construct and you can live with it 
So knowing who you really are, knowing what's your core and what's in your flex really matters. That's a very powerful tool to allow you to cope with ups and downs of of life and you're coping with different elements, trying to balance different elements, work Mm -hmm. and family. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And where can people find out more about you, your work, common purpose? How can they get involved? Yeah. So I'm sure I have revealed this about myself already. Reach out to me directly. I'm on LinkedIn, you know, Adirupa Sengupta. I'm on Twitter. So they can they can reach out to me directly. I'd be delighted. I love making connections and getting to know people. So that would be great. Common Purpose, our website, www.commonpurpose.org. Lots of information there. I also have a podcast series, Verena. So I'd love people. It's called The Big Spark Cast. It's on all the platforms you would expect, you know, Spotify and Apple and, and Google. It's also on our website. So they can they can reach out to me through the podcast. But yeah, I would be delighted to hear from people and extend the Common Purpose family beyond what we've got at the minute. Thank you so much, Adi. And by the way, I should actually put in here, the reason why I got in touch with Adi in the first place to have conversations about shared stuff and leadership development and all that was because lots of people randomly who I respect but who are not connected with each other told me how transformative the work of Common Purpose was. You know, it was one of those things where you just keep hearing about it. And then over years, I thought, oh, I must reach out to this woman. So it is definitely very transformative work and definitely worth checking out. Thank you, Verena. You know, I say to everyone, yes, we are about changing the world, but if we change the world for one person, then bit by bit, we change the world. It's it's about the sparks that we light in people. So thank you. Thank you for your affirmation <laughs> of, of what we do. Really appreciate it. And it's been such a joy knowing you and your work and look forward to working more closely with you and your mm. team. Likewise, likewise. Thank you for listening today. If you enjoyed the podcast and you think a non-judgmental community of support would be really helpful to you, then I would love to hear from you as an application to the Leaders Plus Fellowship Program. As you know, probably this is designed to help you to identify where you want your career to head and will give you lots of support and encouragement along the way. And then most importantly, to help you make it possible to get there practically whilst being present with your family in whatever way you want that to be. Previous fellows have said it made them take really courageous steps that they never thought possible and also that they made lifelong friends and connections. In our last cohort, more than half have got promoted or got additional senior responsibility by the end of the program and that's particularly impressive because most of them work part-time or flexibly. Plus, I think they've all got quite mavericky in a good way. They're all involved in some shape or form of driving wider change for working parents be that mentoring other parents, be that changing policy in their organizations, whatever fits at that moment in their lives. It only takes about half a day a week. Uh, Sorry, (laughs) that would be a lot. Half a day a month. So I think it's more than doable. It's been designed with parents in mind. You can find all the details on leadersplus.org.uk forward slash cross-sector fellowship. The application deadline for this upcoming cross-sector cohort is 7th of March. And also, if you want us to talk to your employer, to your organization about offering this to their employees, i.e. you, then let me know and my colleague Joe or I can have a conversation with them. My email is verena at leadersplus.org.uk. On a completely unrelated note, I also feel passionate about gender equality in podcasting and I've recently learned that the top, you know, 100 podcasts, etc., 
it's extremely male dominated I think 90% male dominated or something like that depending on what stat you look at and I thought that needs to change urgently so if you want to help and <laughs> put forward female-led podcasts then first of all listen and share female-led podcasts and if you think this podcast is is good and useful then also do share that leave reviews and do all those things that increases the algorithms prominence so yeah for example a WhatsApp or signal message to some friends with a link to the podcast is always very welcome and very helpful and hopefully it will help us smash this particular glass ceiling up in the podcast world see you next week and thank you so much for your support <laughs>